1: Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And for our first guest of 2021, we welcome my father back, Dr. George Schwimmer, with the topic of conspiracy theories. Um, My father is the author of the well-researched and meticulous book, Doppelganger, the legend of Lee Harvey Oswald, a book that weaves the intricate and complex conspiracy behind the assassination of JFK. So we're going to use that as sort of the template, but he's also going to talk about his method of looking at conspiracy theories and a bit about his thoughts about conspiracy theories. So before we get started, Michael has a few announcements.
2: Hi, everybody, and thank you guys so much for supporting our show. Please subscribe if you're on YouTube. It really helps. We're getting closer to that first 1,000 subscribers, so that's going to be a big milestone that we will celebrate. Um, and get all the information on our show on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H. And you can buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi while you're there and it helps cover our production costs. And if not, we love having you anyway. So please be entertained and and tune in. Um, and you can leave live chat if you have a question or something. And I know the last couple of minutes, Krista will try and take some of your questions for her dad. Um, just to l- let you guys quickly know what's coming up with a couple of really terrific guests that we're looking forward to over the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm excited about this show. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, next week, we have one of my best friends, Peter Kent, and he's in the Stunt Performer Hall of Fame. He was the stunt stuntman, stunt double for Arnold Schwarzenegger for 14 years, starting with Terminator all the way through Eraser. And we'll be talking about cheating death. What is it that makes some people adrenaline junkies and that they're not afraid to... To, to jump off a skyscraper like Peter or swing from a shipping container, whereas the rest of us don't like to get on a step stool and we're afraid. So we want to know what it is, what is it about, you know, staring death in the face and can you cheat death and should you try and cheat death and all that good stuff. So it should be a lot of fun. And then the following week, our new friend, Emma Thorne from uh, London, who is an atheistic Satanist. And we were talking about what drew her to that path and maybe some of the, the misconceptions about it or some of the real things that happen. And she's, Super intelligent and really fascinating, and it should be a lot of fun. So I'm not going to hold us up too much longer, so I'm going to kick it back over to Krista and uh, her dad. So take it away, Krista.
1: Great. Thanks, Michael. And also, before we get started, many of you know my father as a metaphysical fellow, and he's done a lot of metaphysical things, but he's also a prolific writer, and he's written three full-length stage plays. He's currently writing a 10th screenplay, and five of his uh, screenplays have been optioned. He's also written five nonfiction paperbacks and 15 ebooks. So that's his writing side. You can see he's been very busy. <laughs> so, anyway, welcome, Dad. Hello there. So, how would you like to get started? Did you want to talk first a little bit about your thoughts about conspiracy theories?
3: Yeah,
0: let's uh, define what really is legitimate conspiracy. It's a scale, and it uh, starts at the bottom with. Uh, nonsense like uh, lizard people uh, controlling the country. Uh, Then we had uh, the guy who went to a pizza shop because he thought there was a pedophile ring in the basement. uh, Oh, yeah. Led by Hillary Clinton, no less. So this, uh, you know, people call this a conspiracy, but it's fantasy. I mean, there's no basis of fact whatsoever. Uh, but people still call it a conspiracy. <clears throat> uh, the next uh, uh, step up is uh, uh, a conspiracy where a person you know just says, "Well, I think so and so, and they don't have a single piece of evidence uh, to back it up. And uh, we have just gone through that with uh, Donald Trump where he kept insisting, you know there's millions of people who voted fraudulently, and there's absolutely no uh, evidence. Uh, he got thrown out of court 60 times already uh, so far. But there, there, uh, there, from there you go on to legitimate, uh, people saying a legitimate conspiracy, but they don't have any facts. Uh, it turns out that the first uh, Kennedy assassination uh, uh, researcher felt there was a conspiracy the day after Kennedy was shot so there were people right you know at the start and particularly uh, when uh, Oswald got shot a lot of people said okay you know this is not a con- this is not a, a coincidence there's got to be a conspiracy but there were no facts but you could say at that point well it's possible even if we don't have the facts right now so now we're into factual possibilities of a conspiracy.
3: Uh, Incidentally, uh, you
0: know, there are people who defend the Warren Commission who will call everybody else conspiracy theorists. And you know, uh, a theory doesn't have to have any facts. And uh, to call most of these people theorists is nonsense. Uh, There have been over 2,000 books written uh, since the assassination. And uh, you can't say that 2,000 people uh, don't have a single fact uh, to back them up. Now, the next uh, level of conspiracy is, uh, I haven't done very much research, but I read a book about uh, Bobby Kennedy. And uh, two facts stand out, which uh, show very clearly the conspiracy, whatever you want to say. Number one, Sirhan Sirhan had a gun that fired eight bullets. But when uh, this was investigated, they found 11 bullet holes uh, in uh, various parts of the room. Number one. Number two, Sirhan. Sirhan was six to eight feet in front of Bobby Kennedy, but uh, Kennedy was shot behind his right ear. So, uh, unless uh, Sirhan is a magician and he can uh, move himself from one side of the room in a split second and shoot Kennedy out in the back of his ear it's obvious that somebody else shot him. Mm-hmm. So the minute you see, you know, there are two people who are possibly killers, you know there's something going on. And whether you can ever prove it or not is another thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, we should also, uh, I, you know, uh, define what a conspiracy is. A conspiracy is simply two people who want to do some kind of harm. Uh, and. Uh, you know, you don't have a conspiracy to uh, hold a birthday party. So, you know, it has to be something that uh, uh, is nefarious that you're uh, planning. So you go, go up to the scale, you go up to the top of the scale, and you've got the Watergate where we found out virtually everything. I don't think we found every last little thing. Uh, for example, I don't believe that uh, Nixon was pardoned uh, for the good of the country. There was a lot of I don't want to get into that right now, but uh, there's uh, there's stuff that seems to indicate that uh, you know that wasn't quite kosher either. So, but but almost all of the facts, you know, came out with Nixon. Almost all of the, as far as we know, all the people involved uh, were caught and were tried and uh, uh, were jailed, and uh, Nixon got thrown out of office. Now the Kennedy assassination. There is so much fact that you have to be really an idiot to say that you know there is nothing there. This was a huge conspiracy, and I want to start off, I'm going to make some statements which I may or may not be able to prove because of the time that, that we have uh, for the program. But based on all of the information I was able to research, it's very clear to me that the assassination was planned and orchestrated by the CIA. Now, the CIA may not have been the first, uh, not the whole CIA, I, I'll take that back. It was rogue elements rogue in the CIA, which happened to be the top people in the CIA. But uh, the rest of the CIA I didn't know anything about it, and they're, they're not uh, guilty of anything. It was just top eight or ten people uh, that were involved. So um, the reason it's important to understand that this was orchestrated by the CIA because when you start out reading about the assassination and, and particularly reading about Lee Harvey Oswald, you get terribly confused. Uh, Oswald is uh, demonstrated to have been in two places at one time, maybe a dozen times. You know. And uh, virtually every time it's proven that he couldn't have been there, but somebody says, well, he was there. And then, then you get stuff like in records and in uh, identifying uh, documents, uh, Oswald is shown as being five foot nine, five foot 10, five foot 11, weighing 135 pounds, 145 pounds, 160 pounds, 165 pounds, and you know, when you first start out saying, what what is this, you know? I mean, I've never heard of anybody else uh, in history who had such confusing uh, information uh, on record. Uh, another one that I discovered very late on was a um, researcher found 20 cases of the name, in the official records of various intelligence agencies, listed as Harvey Lee Oswald, not Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm. So the, the reason for that, and which I'll get to in a minute, is that there were two Lee Harvey Oswalds, and the phony one, the one who was shot by uh, Jack Ruby, uh, was listed as Harvey Lee Oswald, and the real one was listed as Lee Harvey Oswald, because that was his birth, na- birth, birth name. Uh, Incidentally, uh, when uh, all this uh, conspiracy stuff uh, began, uh, Senator Richard Russell uh, got hold of a colonel in intelligence and asked him to check out what was going on, because he had suspicions. And this colonel came back and said, there are two passports. He went to the State Department. There are two passports with the name Lee Harvey Oswald. And two different men used it, and there are two. And he, then he went to the FBI, and the FBI had two birth certificates for Lee Harvey Oswald, which also were used by two different men. Wow. So, if you don't have anything else, whatever, that indicates immediately something fishy is going on.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So we have the the reason that. You know, there there have been questions about the assassination because there were two things. Number one, there were two men, and number two, the CIA, like every intelligence service, let me say, uses confusion and hides things, invents things, changes documents, uh, and so on. That that is their method of operation. Not just the CIA, but any intelligence service will operate on the basis of trying to hide everything they, they possibly can and then uh, to create uh, all kinds of confusion. And uh, one, uh, one of the uh, prime things uh, that i not going to get into a lot of that right now, I don't know if I'll even get to it, but uh, Lee Harvey supposedly went down to Mexico City and the amount of disinformation that the CIA manufactured around this fairy tale of uh, de uh, Oswald in Mexico City is an indication of what they were doing. So there are. I want to start with two things to show there were. Well, let me let me say first of all that originally the quote Oswald Project, which is what the CIA called it, it was called the Oswald Project. This was a legitimate. Hmm. CIA intelligence project. I don't know how it got started, and it's a pretty weird start because they found uh, two kids, one about 12 and one about 11, and they got them involved somehow or other to become intelligence agents. Now, there are the real Lee Oswald had a cousin Who worked for the CIA, and she testified for the House Assassination Committee, and her testimony was immediately labeled secret and has remained secret ever since. But people who know say she was a CIA agent. Then uh, the real Lee Harvey Oswald was in the Marines, which is controlled by Office of Naval Intelligence, and then the phony. Lee Harvey Oswald, who I will call Harvey from now on, uh, also joined the Marines. And then his oldest brother, um, was the real Lee Oswald was in the Marines, and his older brother was in the Marines, and his oldest brother was in the Coast Guard working in intelligence. So you got a whole bunch of people who are involved with intelligence. And I feel that the real Lee Oswald was recruited somehow through his family. And I don't know exactly how the, uh, how Harvey got recruited, but he got recruited apparently when he was about 11 years old.
1: Now did they, and, did they look alike then, or was this something that was happenstance that they started looking alike at all?
0: Well, first of all, I don't think they looked that much alike, uh, in my, in my book, uh, and your viewers can go and look this up on uh, Amazon. If you go to the page, which has my book, and click on uh, look inside, you'll see five—no, fi- six pictures of the adult Lee Oswald and six pictures of the uh, Harvey Oswald. And to me, they don't look that much alike. But uh, uh, witnesses repeatedly said, oh, they're like twin brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, la- the last one who saw them was the uh, concession manager at the Texas Theater and uh, Lee Oswald was in the balcony, and Harvey was in the orchestra. And Harvey got arrested and was taken out the front door. And three minutes later, the police brought down Lee from the balcony. And so this guy, uh, Bush Burroughs, said he saw both of them within the space of three minutes. And he said they weren't identical twins. He said he thought it was so, they looked sort of like they were brothers.
3: Mm.
0: Okay. But people on the street uh, repeatedly said, oh, they look like, you know, they're twins. But anyway, they look close enough alike that people could mistake them one for the other. Now, going back to their childhood, the uh, FBI uh, vacuumed uh, New York City for any record of either Harvey or Lee. And the only record that uh, turned up in the Warren Commission files was a grammar school uh, transcript, and on that transcript, this uh, Lee, which obviously was Lee Oswald, it stated he was 114 pounds, and he was five foot four, and he had an IQ of 108. Now, this was in 1952. I think he was in seventh or eighth grade. However, when uh, that same year, Harvey got taken into juvenile court and he was uh, taken to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist later said that he looked scrawny. He looked like he was about four foot six, and he characterized him as saying he looked like he was one of the children out of the concentration camps. Wow. And uh, uh, social workers also commented on how scrawny uh, Harvey was. Well, a couple months later, they moved to New Orleans and his homeroom teacher was eventually uh, interviewed about 30 years later by John Armstrong. And she said he was about four foot six and that he came to about the middle of her chest. And she was about five foot one, I think, five foot two, something like that. So uh, I went and looked up a chart on uh, the height and weight of children, and uh, a very thin child, four foot six, at the age of 11 or 12 would have been about 70 pounds. Hmm. So we've got Lee Harvey Oswald, who's four foot six, or he's five foot four, he's 114 pounds, or he's 70 pounds. So right off the bat, and and later on, we found that Harvey's IQ is 118. Mm-hmm. So you don't change your IQ, and you don't change uh, 60 pounds, you know, sure. one day to the next. So it was very obvious. And when he, when they grew up, it was the same sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if I can remember everything, but uh, Harvey actually was five foot nine. Uh, Lee was actually uh, five foot eleven. Harvey was actually 135 pounds. Lee was 165 in most uh, cases, maybe a little bit less. Uh, Lee had blue eyes, I mean, uh, Lee had uh, hazel eyes, and Harvey had blue eyes. The coroner's report was that the corpse identified as Lee Harvey Oswald had slate blue eyes. So that was not Lee Harvey Oswald, that was Harvey Oswald. And actually one of the IDs that I ran across for color of the eye, uh, shows hazel slash blue now what okay. the heck does that mean there's no such thing as a hazel blue eye oh. okay it's possible some people have one color eye or the other sure but neither one of them did so one of the things that uh, became very obvious to me and to other people was that some of the IDs were used both by Lee and By Harvey. And so people would temporize saying, okay, we'll make them five foot 10 instead of five foot nine and five foot 11, and that can fit either one. And we'll say their eyes are hazel blue. So we got one that has hazel hazel eyes and so on. So there's about three IDs that uh, have this kind of dual uh, use. Okay, going back to Harvey, I said it was originally a uh, intelligence operation.
3: Uh, Alan, uh, Oh, I can't think of that. Well, the head of the CIA
0: apparently was fascinated by the use of twins. And I believe this is where it came from, but there's no way of proving that. Mm. Uh, but originally, it seems like uh, the the two boys were recruited by the Office of Naval Intelligence. Now, you have to understand that the, the intelligence services will let other intelligence services within their own country use their agents. So the fact that the ONI recruited them doesn't mean that the ONI ran them. Mm. And so actually, uh, the CIA wound up running uh, uh, Harvey. Oswald and Lee Oswald, as it uh, happens. Okay, so the original uh, idea was a legitimate uh, intelligence operation to infiltrate Russia at a time when we had very little information on on uh, the Russians because it we was such a, a close society. So the first uh, so the first eleven years of Harvey's life, he was just an ordinary kid. Uh, there is evidence that seems to indicate that he was born in Hungary, or at the very least, he was uh, born and uh, grew to uh, grew up in the first few years in a place where Hungarian was spoken, uh, because his parents were later uh, his father and uncle were later identified as being Hungarian. So that's normal. Okay. So then he then the second stage is these two kids got recruited one way or another, and for the next uh, about five years, uh, they led fairly normal lives, except for the fact that uh, both of them would wind up living in the same city at the same time. So the first time we uh, run across Harvey, he's already living in New York City with a phony mother, and Lee and his real mother come to uh, New York Uh, To visit the the oldest son, John Pick. And so both mothers and both uh, Oswalds are in the city uh, for about 18 months, 1952, 53, something like that. Okay, then Harvey, uh, to escape the juvenile authorities, supposedly, they leave New York City with his phony mother and go to New Orleans, and six months later, uh, Lee and his mother are in New Orleans. So this, this kind of pattern continued where uh, one would move to Fort Worth and then the other would be in Fort Worth. One was mm. in New Orleans, the other one was in New Orleans. And so this was obviously deliberate on the part of the CIA or the ONI uh, to mix things up and mm-hmm. uh, confuse people. So that was about a five-year period. Okay, this is still legitimate. All right. Both of them go into the Marines. Now, I believe that based on Harvey's height and weight, he was a year younger than Lee. And so Lee went into the Marines when he was about 17, and Harvey went, in then what, he was 16, which obviously was illegal, but who cares when you're doing intelligence work. So both of them went into the Marines uh, in, uh, I think it was October uh, or September, of uh, 1956. Okay, so the next period is this three year period where Lee is uh, uh, trained as a radar operator. he sent to Japan. And Harvey is trained as a, a radar operator. And then for some reason, they pulled him out of the Marines for eight months. And then he came back in uh, 1958. And in 1958, Lee disappeared and Harvey took his place. Hmm. Now, Harvey is, uh, is known to have spoken fluent Russian, and people claim he learned how to do it himself. It's pure, pure nonsense. Uh, he mm-hmm. learned as a child, and I'll get into that in a minute. But Lee disappeared for a year, and I believe that he went to the Monterey, the Army's Monterey Language School to learn Spanish, because after he got out of the Marines, he worked with the anti-Castro uh, exiles, and he had to have known Spanish uh, to work with these people over a period of years. So that that's purely theoretical. I can't prove it. Although somebody said that they once uh, ran across quote Lee Harvey Oswald in the language school mm. that year, but nobody really knows uh, if that's true or not. Okay. So anyway, the three the both of them were in the Marines for three years, and Lee disappeared. And uh, at the end of his uh, hitch in the Marines. Uh, he went to work uh, with the anti-Castro uh, exiles. Harvey um, went to Russia, and there's all kinds of strange things about. that. Number one, uh, he got his uh, uh, passport in about a week's time, which at that time was taking two or three weeks. Uh, he had $1,500, and there was no way in God's earth he could get it. because he was getting, you know, virtually nothing as a private in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. His uh, uh, savings uh, account had only had $200. So where did the other $1,300 come from? Anyway, so this is still part of the intelligence operation, okay? Uh, Obviously, the CIA gave him the $1,500. So uh, he goes to Russia, and... um, There is no evidence that he was able to accomplish anything because the Russians uh, sent him to Minsk. And uh, he was watched by everybody, including his girlfriends and the people he worked with. He was given a Mm -hmm. job in a factory. And uh, there's very little likelihood that he was able to get very much uh, intelligence information. So at the end of about, uh, I think it was 32 months, he came back to the United States. Nobody paid any attention to him. He went to Russia claiming to be a defector, and if you were a real defector, you would have been arrested by the FBI, you would have been tried, and you would have been sent to jail. Mm. Nobody did anything. He arrived, he went down to uh, Fort Worth uh, to live with his brother for a few weeks. Everything was hunky-dory. In the meantime, he got married uh, to Marina Oswald in Russia, and they had one child, uh, I think it was uh, June, and so he was uh, in uh, Fort Worth, he got uh, some kind of job, I don't know, was welding or some some such thing. And then <clears throat> suddenly he was befriended by this high society Russian emigrate named George Morenschild, And Morinshilt suddenly becomes his patron and So on, well, Martin Schild apparently was a, what's called a babysitter for uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. And uh, so the next thing we know about uh, Harvey is that uh, George tells him to move to Dallas. So he moves to Dallas, which doesn't seem to be anything special. However, there are reports, which I didn't put in the book because I wasn't sure exactly about them, but there were reports that he was handing out leaflets for this uh, uh, group that uh, supported Castro. So apparently he started on that thread in Dallas, although it wasn't really apparent. So he came back in June of uh, uh, 62, uh, and then he was in Dallas until the end of, almost the end of April, and then he went to New Orleans. At that point, the plotters took him over. He was co-opted by these people in the CIA. And they started making up a second phony story. These are called legends
3: hmm.
0: by the CIA. So the original legend, wa- the original legend was Lee Harvey Oswald is a uh, troublemaker, he's a defector, he loves the Russians, he loves the, the Cubans, Etc. Etc. Okay, so now they send New Orleans, and he starts establishing a new legend, saying that uh, uh, he loves uh, he loves uh, Castro, and that he's setting up this uh, organization uh, to defend Castro, etc. Etc. In the meantime, Harvey was working with a lady named. Uh, Mary, 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 I can't remember the last name. But anyway, she was working to help develop a fast-acting cancer, which the CIA wanted to use on Castro to kill him. Wow. And so Lee was used along with a woman he later had an affair with. Uh, they raised mice, and they uh, gave the mice cancer, and then they killed them, and they removed the cancer, and they uh, gave it to the woman, Mary Sherman, the issue of the doctor, and then she would do whatever uh, experimentation she did. And apparently they eventually did uh, develop this uh, cancer. In the meantime, Harvey also was involved with uh, with, uh, helping anti-Castro exiles in one way or another, uh, along with uh, uh, other people like David Ferry, and uh, Guy, I can't believe Guy's last name. Anyway, there were a number of people, and that included Clay Shaw, who was later tried by uh, Jim Garrison in New Orleans.
1: So can I ask you something about Harvey? Is it fair to say that they seem to want him to be an assassin early on because of the Castro thing and him, him involved in that? Or
0: uh, No, they, they what, what eventually happened was In New Orleans, somebody pulled him into some of the planning, or maybe the original planning, I don't know, nobody knows. But some of the planning for the assassination was in New Orleans, and somebody pulled Harvey into that organization. Mm. Uh, Some people suspect that Clay Shaw was the one who introduced him. So he was pulled into that organization to start setting him up as a patsy. Mm. Okay? So he's, uh, first, first, he's doing uh, what appears to be legitimate uh, work for the CIA to develop the uh, cancer. Second, he's doing what appears to be a legitimate work with the anti castro uh, exiles who were going to uh, invade, again, after the Bay of Pigs, uh, invade uh, Cuba. And then he is pulled in illegitimately uh, by... Whoever it was in New Orleans, and he became, if so facto, a part of the planning. I mean, he didn't do the planning, but he was sitting there listening to what these people were doing. right. Okay, so that was his uh, general what was taking place with him generally. then uh, at the end at the end of September. Uh, they they discovered this uh, uh,
3: cancer, and he was tasked to bring it to
0: Mexico City to hand off to somebody who would take it to Cuba, and somehow in Cuba they would have Castro injected. I mean, the whole plan was one of these crazy plans that the CIA did, uh, like poison pens and— uh, a poison diving suit and I mean just totally off the wall stuff but anyway they really had a cancer and they really were going to try it and
3: something happened and uh he wasn't able to uh do it mm-hmm. okay so
0: there was this whole thing I, I don't want to get into it because it, it, it's uh, it's a sheer nonsense but uh it's in my book and you can read it there it, it's all a bunch of lies Now, one thing which I forgot to mention is uh, there are photographs which you can see online at Amazon. I have four pictures of the real mother, four pictures of the fake mother. I have a half a dozen pictures of Lee Oswald, and I have half a dozen pictures of Harvey Oswald, and you can see them on the introduction uh, to uh, uh, the book. Okay, so he comes back from uh, the... Mexican trip, and he came back to Dallas, and he and his wife were separated at at that time, although he went to see her every weekend. It was a very strange Hmm. relationship. But according to Harvey and uh, according to his lover, uh, they were planning to get married. He was going to divorce. Marina and uh, Harvey and his lover were going to get married and, and go to South America and so on. So meanwhile, at, uh, at the same time, when uh, Harvey first came back, in September of 1962, Harvey was approached by the FBI, and he became an FBI informant. So not only is he working for the Office of Naval Intelligence, he's working for the CIA, and he's working for the FBI. And there is evidence to show that he did work for the FBI. He got $200 a month from the FBI, and he got two hundred dollars a month from the CIA, hmm. and his real his real salary was held in escrow for when he would leave the CIA or the ONI, whoever was actually hiring him. So his re- he was not getting a real he was not getting money of his real salary. The two hundred dollars a month was for operational purposes. Okay, okay. So he comes back from Mexico City and he is so, supposedly directed to a, a job that just opened up at the Texas School Book Depository. So he goes there, and he is hired temporarily. The interesting thing is that three men were fired a day before. So what the heck is the Texas School Depository doing, hiring him? when they fired three people the day before. Anyway, he's hired. Okay, so he goes to work for the Texas School Book Depository.
3: Now, how much time do we have left?
1: We have about uh, 22 minutes.
3: Oh, okay, we've got lots. All right. So
0: he is hired to go there because the planning is that, at this, at this time, that Kennedy is going to pass in front of the Texas School Book Depository, Harvey is going to be uh, framed as the Patsy, and so he has to be in the School Book Depository.
1: Can I ask now, you why they would need a Patsy? Is that a divergent kind of thing, so that they don't find out the real conspiracy? or
0: Exactly. Okay. exactly. Uh, this, is a, this is something that the Sicilian Mafia invented. Anytime the Sicilian Mafia uh, planned some kind of a, uh, operation. They always had a patsy, and and in actual fact, it appears that uh, there were three or four different places where they were considering killing Kennedy: Chicago, uh, Miami, Dallas, and Los Angeles. And the Chicago operation actually started, and it was spoiled, and they actually had a patsy in Chicago. Oh. So we know that this was something that they did. They probably had a Patsy ready in Los Angeles and Miami, too. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, this was the technique that they used. Okay, now I want to point out that my research was not into the assassination. My research was to find out, did Harvey shoot the president or did he not? Was he a Patsy or was he not? In the course of which, of course, I picked up uh, all kinds of stuff about the assassination. But that wasn't the primary uh, uh, point of the, uh, uh, the research. Now, the point of the research, well, first of all, I felt this is something that you can't allow uh, history to just bury it. Mm-hmm. And you can't allow people to just say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter. The hell, it doesn't matter. It, it matters. It matters a great deal. And secondly, I felt, you know, this was a terrible disservice, not only to John Kennedy by killing him, but also to, Lee Harvey, to Harvey Oswald. I mean, he's accused of two murders, uh, of treason, and uh, he's got a wife and two little uh, daughters, and he goes down the history as this terrible traitor.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, that's not
0: exactly fair. And I thought, okay. Third reason is... You know, there's this old thing that's saying, you know, if if you have a generalization saying all all ravens are black, it only takes one white raven to prove that a lie. Sure. So the same thing applied here. If I can show that even slightly that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald couldn't have been the assassin, assassin, then that automatically
3: shows that it was a conspiracy. Right. Okay, so now, well, uh, I, I want to get into, there's some things uh, that happened before.
0: Uh, so, uh, so I don't think I have time to do it, but I'll just mention it. It's in the book, and you can read it because it's fascinating. Uh, he supposedly lived for seven weeks from uh, the beginning of March until the end of April uh, at the... Uh, I think it was uh, 214 Neely Street. I think, it, anyway, it's 114. Uh, Neely Street in, uh, in uh, Dallas. And uh, they claimed that while he was there, he took a shot at General Walker. He bought a rifle. He bought a pistol. Uh, he had a picture taken of him in the backyard uh, holding a rifle, holding a pistol. Sheer nonsense. None of this happened. But anyway, I don't have time to get into that but read it in the book because it's pretty fascinating. Okay, so let's get to the day of the assassination because this is where just enormous amounts of confusion took place. For instance, one set of witnesses said they saw Ilihar Vjansvold run into a Nash Rambler after the assassination, jump into the car and go roaring off, down the street. At the same time, Lee Harvey Oswald was getting on a bus, exactly the same time, 1240, he was getting on a bus, heading, uh, which is,
3: uh, I think it was uh, heading west. Yeah, I think it was heading west. Okay, then uh, he's on a bus, he goes to his uh, uh, rooming house,
0: Arrives supposedly at one o'clock, and at the same time, he is 10 blocks away walking down 10th Street in Oakland. I mean, this kind of thing has went on and on and on and on. I just want to mention one thing before I, I, I go and try and straighten this out. In the three months before the assassination, any number of Lee Harvey Oswald suddenly appeared. Hmm. Um I'll mention a couple, and I don't know if I can remember all of them. One guy tried to buy a car with it, saying he was going to get a lot of cash in a couple of weeks. Another guy went to a rifle range and uh, made a, an issue of himself so people would notice him. Uh, another time uh, that happened twice uh, actually. Another time uh, he supposedly went to uh, a woman's apartment with two other men. The lady's name was Sylvia. Odeo. Another time uh, uh, he tried to cash a check in uh, Irwin, uh, uh, Texas, that's a suburb. Uh, Another time he took his rifle to be uh, drilled for a site, for a uh, telescopic site, which was not true because the rifle that they claimed he had already had a site on it. So anyway, there were at least a dozen sightings of this so-called mm-hmm. uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. So I want to show up how they layered this. The first layer was the the defector and Russian lover. The, uh, the second layer was Castle lover. Third layer was crazy assassin. So they kept on building legends on top of legends. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there was one guy responsible for virtually all of this. His name was David Attlee Phillips, and he was the top legend maker in the CIA. So anyway, going back to the day of the assassination,
3: I'll tell you ahead of time what happened, and then I'll show you how it happened. There were
0: at least eight shooters in Dealey Plaza, some people think there may have been additional shooters down the road and that there may have been additional shooters at the, uh, I can't remember the name of uh, the place where he was going to make it. The county was, uh, was going to give a speech at this large arena,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and they, there may have been additional shooters there, but nobody was ever identified, and, of course, nobody was ever found. But in the plaza, there were eight, at least eight actual shooters. One was on a South Knoll in the parking lot, and that was probably Frank Sturgis. Across on the, the so-called grassy knoll on the south end of a picket fence was a 21-year-old with a very fancy experimental pistol, which I have a photograph of in the book. And uh, what is his name? I can't think of his name right now. Anyway, he was recruited by the CIA. He was recruited by uh, David Atlee Phillips. On the other end of the picket fence, based on the testimony, uh, statements I should say, of a couple of French uh, hoodlums, was one of three uh, French Uh, A Sicilian uh, mafia hitman. The guy behind that fence was, his last name is Sarti, S-A-R-T-I. I can't remember his first name. Then up on the sixth floor on the west end, facing the plaza was Lee Harvey Oswald, Lee Oswald, the real one. And standing beside him was probably a Cuban Dressed in suit. at the other end of that row of windows where Harvey supposedly had a sniper's nest, there was another shooter, which some people believe was a man that uh, uh, his first name was Mac. I can't remember his last name or not right now. Uh, he was a hitman for uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson. And uh, one of his fingerprints was found in on one of the boxes, and there was a Cuban next to him, dressed in a sports coat and slacks. Across the street in a Dal Tech's building, on the second floor, the second window uh, from uh, Elm Street, there was a shooter. And you can see his spotter sitting on the uh, fire escape. And then on the top of the building, of the records building, the, the, the Dallas County Records Building, uh, there was a shooter. And the, uh, on that spot, years later, somebody found a shell which had been hidden. Hmm. And behind the fence where this 21-year-old fired a fatal shot, killed Kennedy. They found, uh, uh, somebody found a shell which had teeth marks on it. And this killer later uh, admitted that he shot Kennedy and he said he had bit, he didn't know why he did it, but he had bitten the, the, the shell and dropped it. So we have two shells that were found. So this is, I'm pretty sure that what I'm saying, uh, people were there. Uh, I can't guarantee that everyone is identified correctly, but that's to the best of my knowledge. Okay, so this is what really happened.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> before you get going, I think Michael had a quick question.
2: Yeah. Yeah, just, just to, I remember hearing Jesse Ventura talk about the Kennedy assassination years ago, and he was saying that he had the rifle that Oswald used, or an, a copy of it, and as a trained Navy SEAL, he tried repeatedly to fire off the shots and the amount of time that it supposedly took, and he could never get anywhere as close to it. So it really does seem like you the theory that there's more than one shooter just seems to be almost irrefutable at this point. Well,
0: they had three of the top uh, experts, riflemen in the United States, try to recreate the three shots, supposed three shots, supposed three shots, in six seconds. None of them could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy uh, wrote a book. He was a trained sniper in the Rangers. I think it was during the Iraq War. And then he became a police sniper. And he said he went upstairs and looked out the sixth floor window where uh, – Lee Oswald supposedly shot Kennedy, and he said it's impossible. And he went on to research the whole thing, and he wrote a book about it, and he said it was absolutely impossible. Now, since you brought up the rifle, I'd like to mention that, uh, number one, the uh, telescopic sight was loose, and you couldn't use it until it was fixed. The telescopic sight was attached to a left-handed person, and uh, Harvey Oswald was a right-handed person. Uh, there was no um, what is it called? It's a cartridge case. You can't you can't repeatedly fire uh, shots without this car- cartridge case. There was no cartridge case found, and on and on. Okay, uh, the firing pin was rusted.
2: Anyway, I don't want to get into,
0: uh, into the rifle because it's very obvious he didn't, uh, he didn't use that rifle that day. Uh, I'll just very quickly tell you where some of the shots hit. The first shot hit uh, the roadway. First of all, the shots, uh, a lot of people believe, and I think it's probably true, uh, that the shots from the Texas School Depository were diversionary. Mm. And they you heard them. The other shots, the rifles, with the exception of the last shot, all had silences on them, so you didn't hear them. So because the shots from the Texas School Depository were making a racket, people would turn their heads to go and look in that direction, and meanwhile the shots are coming from other directions. So this is why people only heard uh, three or four shots, but some people claim they heard five and six shots. But anyway, the first shot hit the roadway. It was diversionary, probably. A couple shots later, it hit the roadway again. The actual shots that hit inside the car, Kennedy was hit by four shots in the throat, in the front, in his back, and he had two shots to the head, not one. The shot to the back of his head came a split second before the kill shot in the front, and this was Uh, tested to by the guy who actually shot Kennedy. He said he planned to uh, shoot Kennedy in his right eye, and as he squeezed the trigger, Kennedy's head moved forward uh, uh, an inch or two, and uh, so the bullet actually hit him on the right right side of the head, Mm. uh, along the side of the head. Okay, so that's six shots. It was two on the road. That's eight shots. There was one shot that went through a highway sign. That's nine. There were two shots that uh, bounced off curbs. That's 11. There were three more shots that people saw burrows, that the shots went under the grass, and people could see where the bullets had gone under the grass. So there were at least 18 shots and maybe more. Wow. And there there was a whole bunch of uh, bullet fragments uh, in the floor of the uh, limousine. There was one bullet hole in the... A windshield of the limousine, and there was one hole in the back rest in the leather uh, right next to Kennedy. So you're looking at at least 18 shots. Okay, going back to the two Lee Harvey Oswalds. Harvey Oswald was on the steps of the Texas School Book Depository, leaning against the archway of the west side on probably the third step.
1: Dad, I just wanted to give you a heads up. We're at like five minutes, so there's no questions, so you can just keep going.
0: Okay, tell me when you get to five.
1: We're we're at five now. Oh, okay.
0: If you don't have any questions, all right.
1: So I'm I'm just
0: quickly going to say what Lee did, and we'll uh, lead Harvey. go. Okay. Lee was in the the sixth floor upstairs, uh, west window. He was taken down the elevator along with the three other people, he let Lee off on the second floor and then went down to the first floor, let the three other, three other people run out the back door. Two of them jumped in a, a Nash Rambler and went off. The third one went walking down the street and was seen by a witness. Lee got off at the second floor, walked through the lunchroom, bought a Coke, opened a Coke, and then walked through another door into an office and was met in the office by an office worker who came upstairs. He passed her, went down the stairs. At the bottom of the stairs, he was seen by the uh, superintendent of the Texas School Book Depository. Uh, His name is Truly. He was also seen by a policeman. And he was seen by a vice president standing in a little little room off the entranceway. He then exited and was met by an NBC journalist who asked him for a phone. He then went down to the bottom of the steps and he was met by Jack Ruby, who was seen giving Lee Oswald a handgun. He was seen by three women leaning out a window and as chance would have it, the three women knew Lee Ruby and they had eaten lunch with Lee Oswald at a restaurant not far from where they were living. A couple minutes later, he was seen running down the uh, grassy slope, jumped into a Nash Rambler and went roaring off, and was next seen at one o'clock. That was at 1240. He was next seen at one o'clock by a barber walking west on uh, 10th Street, Hmm. okay? He was then seen by other witnesses, and he was the one who killed Officer Tippett. He then went uh, running down the street and eventually wound up buying a ticket in the Texas uh, theater, went up to the balcony. He apparently got rid of his gun somewhere along the way, probably threw it into a garbage can or something like that. But he wound up getting uh, going up to the uh, balcony, after Harvey was arrested, he was arrested, brought downstairs, put in a squad car, taken away at about 150. Ten minutes later, he was seen in a red uh convertible. Hmm. So the cops were in on it, they knew who he was, hmm. and they let go. He was next seen at an airport uh in Dallas, which he got onto. It was a C-54 with no markings. He was taken to uh, New Mexico and uh, was let off at an army uh, airfield and was never seen again.
1: Mm, wow, vanishes. So
0: that, that was Lee, and you can, you can track it one, one point. I, I, I track it minute by minute. You can track it minute by minute. There's no question about it. Mm. And uh, the other part, we don't have time for, you know, what, uh, how Harvey was afraid. But uh, let me point out that uh, Harvey was standing at a bus stop in front of his uh, rooming house at uh, 1.05 p.m. And Officer Tippett was killed at 1.06 p.m.
1: So he couldn't have done that.
0: He couldn't have done it.
1: However,
0: the Warren Commission said it was 116. Ah, Unfortunately for the Warren Commission there were witnesses and there was one witness in particular who they never called and nobody identified and somebody found him 30 years later, found her 30 years later, he just went down the street asking people if they knew anything and this lady said yes, I heard the shots and he said what time did you hear them and she said 106 and he said "How how did you know that she said I was watching TV and the uh, announcer turned and looked behind his back at the clock and said it's 106."
1: Well, we're going to have to leave people with that suspense, and I encourage everyone to please read this book. It's amazingly intricate. It m- is meticulously researched. It's very engaging, and it's written from Harvey's point of view, which is really fascinating. So you can get it on Kindle. I have both the Kindle and the book, and I really think you'll you'll really enjoy the whole unraveling of it. So thank you, dad, a lot.
0: And if you don't have the money, ask your local librarian to order it.
1: Yes. Great idea. I love that. So thanks, dad, for coming on. And we can finally see you on Zoom. You're you're part of the modern world. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we look forward to next week when we continue to journey together and explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.